listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is a show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us for episode 265 May 1st, Friday Q&A. What's up, Mark? It's not Friday, but we never get these out on Friday. Maybe it'll actually... No, we've done it one time that I can count, that it's actually gone, <laughs> you and I, it's actually gone out on a Friday. You know, it's funny, we probably should never had this conversation, because in the middle of you telling me, I was thinking, but none of our audience has ever mentioned it not coming out on a Friday. I don't now think anybody just, cares. Now we just keep them. They just want to hear the episode, so I don't think they care. Think you want to hear the reviews, too? Oh, yeah, sure. Let's uh, do the first one. Let's or, see. First, we got... Five stars. Hello, Mark and Paige. It's a great show with great with quality materials. I've been listening to it since 2016. I shared episodes with my fellow colleagues at all the well sites all over the Eastern Hemisphere. My question, how can one find a virtual volunteer opportunity in energy transformation area? Any advice will come in handy. Thank you. R7R4R via Apple Podcasts in Russia. Russia. So R7R4R. <laughs> Number one, thank you so much for the five-star review. Instead of searching for volunteer opportunities and energy transformation, do an end around. Search for organizations that are working in the ESG space, especially the ones that have a volunteer organization. It should be a very easy, quick way for you to get in kind of through the side door into energy transition. A lot of the ESG efforts a lot of the companies out there and the groups and organizations that are talking about ESG, that are working with ESG, that are helping draft regulations and everything, they need some volunteer help. And a lot of what's going on with ESG is the energy transformation. So that would be my first bit of advice to you, is that be a, probably a quick way for you to find some volunteer opportunities in an energy transformation area. Now, before we get to our questions page, I have heard that people want me to slow down because they listen to us at twice the speed. Well, they don't have to because you do talk so fast is what has I've been told anyway. So I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep talking like I normally talk. And if you can't understand me at twice the speed, I'm sorry. Well, you kind of get excited. Of course I get excited. I, I know. love this. I, love I know. Industry. Let's get to the questions. All right. First one is always from Ludwig. And his question is, is Biden really trying to do everything to lose the <laughs> midterms? Just a question. It seems his policy works bad. And something about making us chicken wings and if we like sweet or spicy, which is the answer is spicy. Yeah, Luthwick, I don't know if you can afford to make chicken wings for me and Paige, quite <laughs> frankly. But you know what? I would love to sit down and break bread with you and have a meal. You've been a fan of the show forever. We've never met in person. At some point, we will actually meet in person. Maybe we'll make you chicken wings. Anyway, is Biden trying to do everything to lose the midterms? It's funny thing. I just had this conversation, I think, yesterday. I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. But by looking at all the actions that him and his cabinet are doing, they're either not very bright, quite frankly, <laughs> or they're intentionally trying to tank our economy. I don't know which one it is, but it's not looking good. And do I think he's trying to lose the midterms? No, I think they're trying to do the opposite. They're desperately scrambling, trying to save the midterms, doing everything they can, such as blaming everything on Russia. <laughs> he's just trying to remember where he is. Yeah. So, no, they're going to fight for the midterms. Do I think they have a chance? No, they've already lost it based upon what's impacting not just our population here in the U.S., but the rest of the world from these bad decisions they've made. So uh, it's going to be a little bit of a battle, but I believe they've already lost the midterm elections. And as always, Ludwig, thank you for your question. Yeah. All right. So the next one is from Stuart Cole. Hello. A suggestion for your giveaway is an OGGM 
combo badge and card holder or a license plate holder. That's different. That is different. I like that idea. I, I like that idea too because I actually carry a badge and card holder for conferences. Well, you know, think about the badge holder. Think about OGG and being plastered over everybody that works at like Chevron or Exxon, their badge holders. How cool would that be? That would be neat. Yeah. Stuart, we'll take that under advisement. We've gotten a whole ton of input around what they want our next IBM giveaway to be. And we'll put that in the mix. And like I said, Stuart, this is a great idea. We'll see what happens. And if we don't do it for the IBM giveaway, maybe we'll do it for something else. Yep. Maybe OGG just needs some badge holder swag. Well, we could do that, or, you know, we really need to open up a shop, so if people want something, they can just buy it. Hey, audience, here's your chance. Do you want to build a shop OGG and merch? Let us know. If enough of you say yes, we'll put something really cool up. Yep. Thanks, Stuart. And Stuart, we'll give you a cut if we end up the merch shop opens up. Yep. <laughs> your idea. <laughs> so, next one is from Anonymous. I have a recent life experience that has given me a new perspective on diversity and inclusion. My spouse and I are both in the oil and gas industry. Within the last week, my spouse has voluntarily gone into an alcohol treatment program. With alcoholism on my mind, it made me evaluate how alcohol is central to almost everything we do in the oil and gas industry. From team building, happy hours, business dinners, everything involves alcohol and in large quantities. If you don't drink, it's weird. You're either pregnant or an alcoholic. What are your thoughts on what should be done, if anything, on this? Man, what a somber point because he's right or he or she is right. Yeah, so later we're going to talk. We have another question. We're going to talk about the connection between food and the oil and gas industry. It's the same connection with alcohol and doing business. My first response to this is like a lot of things, people tend to be born with the genetic predisposition to be addicted to certain substances. It's literally a genetic thing. It's not under your self-control. It's not poor willpower. And so for the people that are slighted to have alcoholism, to be addicted to alcohol, they absolutely need to stay away from it. And as an industry, I don't remember anybody chastising anybody for not drinking, but you do occasionally get the interesting look. Let me caveat by this in total sincerity. Years ago, I managed to give a really nice bottle of wine to a recovering alcoholic accidentally, wow. and it was not pretty, right? And the guy was really cool about it and everything, but I felt so bad. I really think this is almost a personal decision and based upon what's going through your life, you know, at what point do you think you have a problem? And if you do, do you seek professional help? I drink quite a lot. <laughs> I mean, not like right now, but you know, it's, I enjoy red wine and many times in my life, I often wondered if I had a problem. So I would stop to see if I had a problem. And after I stopped, I had no reasons to you know try to go back. I felt no need to actually drink. It was actually kind of cool. So then I figured out that I didn't have a problem. And I went right back to it. So, you know, I think this is a one-on-one thing, but if you do have a problem, please, please, please reach out and get some help because I've seen alcohol destroy a lot of lives. Oh, as have I. And I think it became quite prevalent over the pandemic and being stuck inside, not having anything else to do. Right. That's all legit. I mean, you know, I increased how much I was drinking during the pandemic, which wasn't great for my health, you know. But, oh, same, yeah. same for sure. Yeah. And I've also put on a bunch of body fat from the pandemic that I'm still struggling to get off. So anonymous feel for you. If you want some more input from Paige and I just reach right back out. As far as the industry, I don't know if the industry officially should do anything except being able to offer help to their employees if needed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you feel like someone else has a problem, you know, maybe pull them aside and just say, hey, this has gotten a little out of control too, right? Yeah. The number one thing is when other people tell you have a problem, your brain interprets that in a different way. Like, oh, maybe I do versus you thinking yourself if you have a problem. Yeah. So yeah, if you have friends or loved ones that you think are have an issue, pull them aside and very sincerely talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's all they need. Yeah. 
All right. Next is Craig. Craig is a petroleum engineering student. And the question is, I am finishing my BS in petroleum engineering at a highly regarded U.S. university this year. My focus is on reservoir engineering. I'd appreciate your advice on deciding my next career step considering all the wild things going on in the industry at the moment. My choices are take a job now and gain some experience. I have job opportunities, but they are not as good as I hoped for. The alternative is to continue at school and add a master's, which I have a chance to complete in just one year. Ooh, I would almost go for that. The hope would be that a year later job opportunities might be better as the much of the world replaces Russian energy. It's a bit of a gamble, and I'm curious as to what you would recommend. What would you do in my shoes? I'd like to continue focusing on upstream reservoir geological side and have the expertise in carbon capture. Thank you very much for any advice you be able to help me with. Who, Craig? This is probably one of the harder career questions. I would go with the master's because you can knock it out in the year. That's probably less student loan debt. Yeah. So I think either way would work. I guess, it, Craig, it depends on what you want long-term wise. So if, when you think of yourself 20 years from now, you know where do you want to be? Is the title and the amount of influence you have in an organization important to you? Is the money important to you or is it control over your free time in 20, like I said, in 20 years? So if control over your free time is what you think will be important to you in 20 years, I think I agree with Paige. I think I'd go ahead and get my master's. The market's in a flux right now. If you can skip this flux and get a master's in a year and then come out of it, the market should settle down, gain some experience. It would set you up for maybe opening, starting your own business. If title and control in an organization is important to you and that type of real-world oil and gas experience, I would suggest you go work for one of the super majors or majors or big independents. And if you can get a job now doing that, do it because they will pay for your master's even though it takes yeah, you a year. Yeah, exactly. Um, but 20 years from now, just remember, you're going to be a bit of a cog in a machine. Not that's a bad thing, right, at all. Good retirement, good money, whatever. And then if it's all about money – and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what's important to you. This could go either way. Right now, it is amazing what companies are offering starting people because they can't hire anybody. So if it's about money, go get a job now. Make your 200000 300000 a year. And then when things settle down and your $300,000 a year job drops back down to one hundred fifty, go back to school and get your master's then. So I don't know if that's helpful to you, Craig, but I don't really think you can make a wrong decision here. Do what your gut tells you to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. So this one's really long. So you get to read it. it's from david graber i'll start it off with that (laughs) yeah so i'm gonna skip some of this david so the audience can we get to the rest of the questions hey there enjoy the show of an idea i want to run by your team warning it's kind of long and it is kind of long my key observations in the following oil and gas are commodities similar to the u.s dollar just as the federal reserve controls money supply to reduce the boom or bust cycle of overall economy the strategic petroleum reserve the spr can be used to provide dampening to the oil boom and bust cycles not by increasing storage, but by investing in drilled but uncompleted wells, ducks. When supply is high, like 2060, or demand is low, like 2020, the SPR would invest in ducks. These ducks would be placed in the inventory of the SPR. When supply is low, like in 2000, or demand is high, like 2019, the SPR could sell off the ducks. This would provide a floor at the bottom and a resistance at the top, which would result in a more stable energy sector. I'm going to stop there because he literally has six seven, eight other paragraphs. <laughs> I'm going to go to the bottom. No, this is all really good, though. No, I know stuff. it is. I know. If, but... And by the way, if y'all want to read all this, it'll be in the show notes, everybody. If the SPR could function similarly to the Federal Reserve, the highs and lows of the business cycle could be moderated with the added benefit of partnership with the energy sector to ensure U.S. energy security. As an added benefit, the SPR would eliminate 
OPEC as the all swing trade for the world. It's another story, but the moves that OPEC plus made in 2020 that crashed our domestic oil sector was intended to bankrupt our oil sector and reduce our oil production capacities, and it worked. So with all that said, David, a couple things. 110% agree with you. I've been saying this for a decade that we need an energy form, sort of like we have the Federal Reserve, where it's not made of politicians, where it's made of business leaders and people and engineers and geologists that work in the oil and gas industry. And it needs to have the terms need to ride over political terms. So it needs to be a 10 year where you serve 10 years. That way you jump multiple political parties and they need to set everything to do with energy based upon business and free markets and nothing to do with politics. I love your idea of using the strategic reserve as a buffer. Now, remember the amount that we have in our strategic reserve is enormous. When you look at the 20 million barrels we burn a day here in the U.S., but when you look at what the world burns, it's not that big. (laughs) But here's another thing, David. What if we could get partner with some of our friends that have strategic petroleum reserves like Japan, right, and do this exact same thing on the global scale? Then we can go head to head. We could buffer all of these ups and down cycles. Now, the flip side of this, David, is if this came into power, it would make OPEC look like a kindergartner as far as the amount of control it would have over the earth. This group that you and I are talking about right now would carry immense economic and military power throughout the world, which kind of scares me. Then I'm also a little bit worried about this violating our antitrust measures. Like, would this help form a monopoly in the U.S. oil business because we have an entity which would be the Strategic Petroleum Reserve helping control oil prices? But at a high level, David, I think this is freaking genius. And I think our industry and the U.S. government should explore this idea. And and actually, David, we have members of Congress that listen to us. I know exactly who they are. I am going to push this in front of them because I think it's a fantastic idea. There's risk here. You have to change the culture of the oil and gas industry, which is always really hard to do. You know, you're introducing something different with the industry doesn't like, but damn it, I think it's a good idea. So I am literally going to push this out to a couple of people in Congress that listen to us and see what they say. Cool. All right. The next one is from Mike. Mark, I am born and raised in the patch and I love oil and gas. I do have a question about the Midland over Moscow campaign. In this misleading, Midland cannot replace Moscow due to the gravity of the oil. We need to have heavier crew to replace Moscow, not light, sweet Midland. Yep, Mike, you're 100% right. <laughs> Bottom line. Now, also remember, though, is we could take the light, sweet crew that were pumping out of the Permian out of Midland and then sell it to countries that want it for their refiners and then use that money to buy the heavier complex crude we need for our refineries. So I like the campaign because it makes people realize that there is a choice. Do you want domestic oil production or foreign oil production? But from a practical point of view, you're 100% right. We can't replace it. It just won't work from a a gravity point of view. I mean, weight of the actual oil, not gravity as in the (laughs) gravity that keeps the solar system together. But you're right. We can't replace it. But I do like the campaign because it has caused people to stop and think about where the energy comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, real quick, Mark. This just in. Big shout out to Jairo and Ashley Garcia. Their firstborn has arrived as of yesterday. Congratulations. So Jairo is a part of the OGGN team. Yeah. Oh, my God. They had their first baby. So audience, find out where they're registered and buy some baby gifts for them. Yeah. Luca Ramon Garcia. Actually, spill Jairo's first and last name so people can look Jairo, kind of like Cairo, but with a J and then Garcia. Yeah. Awesome. I can't believe it. Talk about breaking news. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, there's another question from Craig. Craig's back. Hey, Craig. (laughs) Talk to you in what, 30, 45 seconds? (laughs) I'd be grateful for an answer to another career question, please. I'm about to graduate with a BS in petroleum engineering with upstream focus reservoir engineering. I'm wondering if adding a master's right after would be a good idea or not. And I guess we kind of addressed that already, right? He's asking what would be a good master to complement his uh, bachelor's 
two options that he's looking at is environmental engineering and energy economics. Ooh. Ooh. So I'm going to bias this because my background, I have a degree in wildlife management. I love the environment. I'm going to tell you, Craig, environmental engineering, you can't go wrong with that. That master's degree can be applied to so many different industries now and in the future. Same way with energy economics. But I'm a, if you like biology, Craig, I would push you really hard to go environmental engineering because I think that will serve you well. Plus, it's fun. Then he goes on, I'd really like the upstream geological work that comes with it. Opportunity to work in midstream gains some experience. Transition back to upstream is very difficult. Would you agree with that? Some of that's in people's heads. I mean, it is, there is some of that lingering doubt that like if you work for pipeline companies, why would you want to go work for an upstream company, right? Yeah. Or vice versa. But we're so desperate to hire people now that just the fact you have all patch experience and education, you're fine. And from a realistic point of view, the more parts of our industry you can work in, honestly, the safer you are from these economic upturns and downturns. So if you have a degree in petroleum engineering and you work for a pipeline company and you go work for petrochemicals and refining, which is not where you normally find petroleum engineers, it's all good for your career. So hopefully, Craig, this second question we answered in a way that's helpful to you. Yeah. Ooh, the next one's from Brendan Webb, my buddy. Brendan and Ludwig are running neck to neck to ask those questions. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course. All right, Brendan asked, one of my wife's friends posted on social media that the U.S. is still buying 100 million a day of Russian oil. I don't think this is correct, as we only were importing around 20,000 BOPD before the war. How can I gently correct this person? (laughs) Well, Brendan, I think you should take this person out into the middle of the field. Mark. Let me finish. Okay. (laughs) And ask them if they could... Go one day, go 24 hours without touching anything that hydrocarbons are used to make or to transport. If they say yes, you then take all their clothes, which, of course, are either made from hydrocarbons or transferred by hydrocarbons. You take their cell phone, you take their car, and you leave. And when they're. That's not very gentle. <laughs> well, I mean, that's better than what I thought you were going to say, I guess. Yeah. In all seriousness, Brendan, in my experience, the people have already formed these beliefs. There's nothing you can do to change their opinion. In fact, they're just going to get mad at you, which is probably get you a little aggravated and it doesn't end well. I'll just leave it alone. Sometimes now, it's best that way. Now, if they're in the middle, if they're undecided, so instead of saying, I know that we're buying 100 million barrels of Russian oil, if they would say something, are we still buying Russian oil? That tells me they're curious, in which case you can show them that we're not. And to tell you, we're not buying that much oil. In fact, other than California, there's fiscal responsibilities involved. This, So there's different parts of the U.S. and different countries around the world that are still buying Russian oil, but they're buying it because they have to they have contracts that need to be fulfilled. And if they just walk away from those contracts, it would be chaos. Once those contracts are fulfilled, most of the world's not going to be buying Russian oil anymore except for China. And we're definitely not buying it except for California. In California, we please quit buying Russian oil. You got to buy oil from somewhere. Can it not be Russian oil? But yeah, Brandon, if she or he is firmly committed that we're doing that, I think you're wasting your breath, unfortunately. I'd also ask for a source, but anyway. Yeah. But I'm a smart ass, so there you go. All right, you want this next one? You want me to read this one? Yeah. This is from Jessica Guidry, project manager at Halliburton Boots and Coots. You know, you know her Boots and Coots? Mm-hmm. Crazy yeah. freaking used to, company. We used to have oil spill drills. So Red Adair is one of the first to figure out that you could use explosives to snuff an oil well fire. And if you think about what happened during Desert Storm, when Saddam Hussein's troops set fire to literally hundreds of oil wells, they put them all out. They were hired to put them all out. And Paige, here's their idea. And I've always wanted to know who was the first person to do this. So they take a bulldozer and they have to armor plate it because the heat is so intense. Then they stick a big pipe at the bulldozer, sticks out about 20 feet. At the end of that 20 oh, feet, I've is seen a, a video huge of bundle this. of dynamite. 
Then they rig hoses and sprinklers on the bulldozer because even with the armor plate, it's so hot that it will fry a person. Then they put a person in one of those Mylar suits to protect them against the heat. He drives the bulldozer up to the flaming hellfire well, puts that stick of dynamite right below where the flames are, touches it off, which usually knocks the bulldozer back about 40 feet, right? And it snuffs out the fire just like you blow out a birthday candle. I always want to know who's the first one to go, hey, I wonder if we try this. Like, who was brave enough to try that? And they got this down to science. So that's who Boots and Coots are. Just just so much great history, then so much great work for our industry over the years. And then Halliburton ended up picking them up. Anyway, that's not her question. <laughs> <laughs> so we got way off track yeah. there. Mark and Paige, what happened to the OGGN crawfish bowl that you talked about a few months ago? The season's almost over in Lafayette, Louisiana. Needs some OGGN love. Happy to pitch in and help. We would love to VV with y'all. And VV in Cajun French means kind of hang out just bullshit right yeah so jessica we talked about it nothing ever came of it honestly we got so busy with other stuff we would really love to do a crawfish bowl and meet our audiences somewhere but you're right this season is just about done and it's starting to get hot i got um, me some this past weekend so some crawfish oh yeah were they good so i tried a new place and it just wasn't you know what's sad heb can boil some crawfish <laughs> it's sad when our local grocery store does better than our seafood restaurants yeah isn't it? no you think they would specialize since it's you know a seafood restaurant but no they just i hate it when people put that seasoning on the outside yep, that, it just sets my lips right now you don't know what the hell you're doing yeah but jessica would love to do a crawfish bowl maybe in the winter you know the crawfish are smaller but then it's cooler outside so what we'll do is i'll make a note of your email address and if when and if we ever get something like that scheduled especially in lafayette i'll let you know oh what's this okay so this is a screenshot of a conversation so let me grab this real quick. So this J.B. Benedict, he has been a friend of the show and yes. for probably 10 years. This is a discussion between him and our Justin Godier, who hosts the Oil and Gas Onshore podcast. And they're talking about why do oil and gas people need to go to lunch to make the sale. And Justin replies back, going to lunch still offers value, but certainly doesn't convert to sales. It's all part of the sales cycle. I'll just supplement your point. Too often folks go to lunch without intent or purpose. And then another person jumped in saying, agree, not exactly free, but that comes with exchange of time. Also, to truly have your brand be known to fit the 81 stats costs money to the platform. I'm not sure what the hell that means. <laughs> anyway, so they're talking about the connection between oil and gas and food. And I just thought this would be a good idea for me to educate our audience a little bit. And I learned this 25 years ago from a really old senior driller. So back in the 1800s, when the oil barons were born when standard oil was around, right? They actually would go out to the oil fields and they would inspect their work. They owned the fields. They had the employees. This is back when BBL was invented, blue barrel oil, BBL, right? As a term. Wow. Because standard oil painted all the oil bells blue. So when you saw them on a train, you knew where oh. they came from, right? So there's a bit of history education right that's there. That's pretty neat. I right? never knew that. Here's another bit that's really awesome. That was the first time in history that very wealthy people, the oil barons, had to sit down and eat with the common man, the workers, because out in the middle of nowhere in oil field, you only had one mess tent, right? You didn't have a mess tent just for the oil barons, right? You had to feed your people. So for the first time in history, very wealthy people that owned these wells sat down and broke bread with people that worked the wells. Guess what happened? Wow. They learned all kinds of cool shit for their business. The frontline people would go, hey, you could do this better if you did this, or if you got me this pipe, it would work better than this, or we have 13 horses pulling this sled versus seven pulling this, and it helped the barons make more money. And they saw value in talking and learning from their frontline people. 
Then the frontline people also learned about the business of oil and gas from the, from the barons. Like, oh, no wonder there's taxes on this. I didn't realize about paying taxes or having to move it and there's cost of that and all that stuff. So that connection with oil and gas and food became part of the business culture anywhere in the world. If I go to Rio de Janeiro, if I go to Abu Dhabi, anywhere in the world, if I'm doing oil and gas business, food will be involved because of that tradition. I just think it's awesome. Yeah. Well, that was a lot to learn. That's pretty cool. Okay, so the next one is from Priscilla, Trade Development Coordinator at Port of Corpus Christi. No question, but to answer an internship question, we hire for internships every semester for various departments. It's a paying internship, and there's a link, so we'll make sure this is in the show notes for everyone. Priscilla, thank you so much for, yes. for reaching out. And any other companies out there that offer internships, if you can let us know. Oh, that can, would be a great. We will help you find the best interns out there because they're listeners to the show. And then, like I said, you're helping the world's young people, which I love so Thank you very much, Priscilla. And audience, this link will be in the show. If you're looking for an internship, go check it out. Okay, next one's from CJ, Senior Wireline Engineer at a major service company. First off, I just want to say that I'm a huge fan of the show. I've listened to every episode over the past few years, and it's my go-to podcast every time I drive home from a long hitch. That's awesome. First off, I, 27 male, graduated in 2017 with a degree in petroleum engineering from a top U.S. school. Shortly after graduating, I accepted a wireline engineering position at a major service company. It's commonly said that the operators always want to hire engineers with field experience, but I've found that not to be the case. Over the past few years, and especially within the last six months, I've applied to various engineering positions at operators with no luck. Everything from oil and gas industry is absolutely fascinating to me, and I'm passionate about this industry, but I cannot continue the long hours in the field and being absent from my family. You've often spoken about how operators are looking for young talent and how the appeasement of this industry is losing out to other areas like tech. Yet here I am, unable to get an interview, even though I'd happily work my butt off given the opportunity. What can I do to make my dream come a reality? I try to be as active as I can, given my odd schedule and my local SPE chapter to make connections, but I've come up short. The sad truth of it all is that many people like myself are looking to leave the industry for this very reason. I'm currently in the process of applying for my MBA at grad school to get completely out of the industry for good if I can't get a job at an operator by the end of the year. It sucks to be unable to work at a job you'd be passionate about, but I've unfortunately accepted that it's increasingly appearing to be a lost cause. Before I give up, is there anything in particular that you can suggest I do at least to get my foot in the door at an operator? Thanks, Mark Page. Hey, CJ, reach out to me directly. I don't know, there's something, and I'm not saying there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong here. You have all of the check marks to be a top hire, making top dollar, and if it's not happening, there's just something that's not quite kosher. And I don't know what it is. Reach out to me directly. Send me your LinkedIn profile because I don't have your full name. I just have CJ and I have your email address. And let me figure out what it is. And then once we figure out what it is, I will personally introduce you to the operators that you'd like to go work for. Because there is no reason you should not be working for an operator here with this background. And if for some reason you don't want to reach out to me directly, you want to try to figure it out yourself, I think it's probably time you would hire like a resume or a LinkedIn expert. Once again, have a third right. pair of eyes to look at everything because it could be something that you're overlooking because it's just you, whereas a third party might be able to spot it. But I'm telling you, CJ, there's just something that we need to tweak here because you should have offers all over the place right now. Yeah. And hopefully it helps you. And if you leave the industry, CJ, you know, it's okay. It's, we'll it's, miss you. We've tried. We will miss you. But please just reach out to me directly. Let me see if I can help. 
All right. Next one is from Troy Mickelson, Senior Business Development Manager at Line Power. Appreciate your program. What are your latest thoughts on e-fracking? Any comments on future trends and thoughts around electrification in the market would be appreciated. Yeah, Troy, e-fracking is the way of the future. <laughs> it's just that's oh. where everything's going. And not just so part of it is environmental, part of it is ESG, part of it's actually efficiencies. And then as our industry matures here in the US, as we're able to get more factory power, or I shouldn't say factory power, more utility power to the well sites, it just makes perfect sense. Now, I will tell you this much, Troy. There's a company called Catalyst Energy Services, which we actually did a product launch for. Our, our parent company, Modal Point, did a couple of weeks ago. And they did something really cool. They basically took turbine engines, no transmission, and directly attached them to frack pumps. So sort of like e-fracking, they can use any fuel you want, everything from well gas to diesel to good whiskey to bad whiskey. <laughs> anything that will burn, you can put in there. And they're super efficient, super good for their environment. But the e-fracking thing is here to stay and will continue to grow. And then you'll see a bunch of spinoff businesses around e-fracking, the ability to provide stable in-phase power, which you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, is super important. Being able to run gensets to provide this electricity in places that don't have utility power is super important. And at some point, you'll be seeing e-fracking run off renewable, both solar and wind, when that solar and wind power is available. So it's the wave of the future. And it's also a little bit safer. So yeah, it's going to be a growing market forever. So hopefully, Troy, it's helpful to you. All right. So next one, upcoming energy commerce graduate. Hello, Mark. I am a soon-to-be spring 2022 graduate from Texas Tech University. I will be gaining my Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration with a concentration in energy commerce from the Rawls College of Business. I'm an active listener of Only Guest This Week and find the podcast very informative. I've also been able to apply your input towards my own studies. Given your vast knowledge of the industry, players, I was curious to see if you might be able to point me in the right direction towards any potential entry-level positions within the industry and whether my background would be of any fit to any particular company. I appreciate your time and feedback. Man, yeah. You're just doing placements, <laughs> aren't you? So the first thing that pops me when I look at this is if I was you, I think I would look up Tudor Pickering Holt and then look up all of their competitors. There's about 70 different companies out there that do this type of investment work with investment research tacked onto it. And I think this would be a great fit for you, especially with that energy commerce background. It would let you stand out a little bit. And once you got plugged into the research part of the energy slash oil and gas industry, you can write your own ticket. You know, you could go from there to one of the big consulting firms, you know, McKinsey, Accenture, whatever. You could also start your own business if you wanted to. So that's, I think that's where I would start. So look up Tudor Pickering Holt and then look up their competitors and start reaching out to those companies. They're all hiring right now. And I think that would be a really good fit for you for, well, what's, oh, we don't know his name, for Elliot. For, yeah, Elliot Alva. Yeah. So Elliot, try that. That should produce good results for you. All right. So the next one is. Wait, wait, before we oh. get to this one. Oh. This is our very first ever question from Twitter. I was just going to say that, but, <laughs> yeah. but go ahead. <laughs> no, I just think it's awesome. Another way you can reach out to I us was, on Twitter. Yeah, I was going to say, this is from Scott Dennis, official OGGN, love the podcast, just turned my son on to you as he is a new employee at Kendra Morgan. Congrats. My question, my wife and I are planning to retire in Europe, searching for costs that are lower than New York, which European countries are at least susceptible to energy price spikes. Okay, Scott from Twitter. I have two answers for you, and I don't have a crystal ball, so you do your own due diligence here. So you have certain 
countries where they're energy independent and it's just geographic luck where they have things like abundant hydropower, abundant geothermals, only a handful of countries out there that are totally energy independent. So it's countries like Iceland, Sweden, Norway. Now, because they are energy independent, and now this doesn't mean they don't use oil and gas, but they have a bunch of their own energy. Because they are energy independent, they tend to be a little bit wealthier. So they're able to invest a lot of money into their energy infrastructure. And in my mind, if I'm looking out over the next 20 years, I think those are the countries that will have the cheapest energy prices overall. Number one, because they don't have to import energy. Number two, because they have the margins on the energy so they can keep their infrastructure up to date. But Today, in 2022, they are not the cheapest energy in Europe, but I think they will be, right? So there's point number one. Point number two, if you want the cheapest energy today, check out countries like Hungary and Bulgaria. Their energy infrastructure has been privatized, but the government gives subsidies, and they have some of the cheapest energy prices in the world. Now, the problem is, because it's privatized and because they depend on government subsidies, there's not a lot of extra margin for them to invest in their infrastructure. So I have a feeling that their infrastructure will start dropping parts and pieces start dropping neighborhoods and have need massive upgrades. And because of that, I don't think they'll keep their cheapest energy prices forever. So there you go. So do your own due diligence. I personally would look at Iceland, Sweden, Norway because they're energy independent and they can keep their infrastructure up current. But if you want the cheapest prices today and probably for the next five or six years, look at Hungary and Bulgaria. All right. So the next question is from Sam Kidson. Investor at North and Webster. Mark, love the Oil and Gas This Week podcast. Want to be helpful? You've mentioned on the last two pods that futures are done without a specific price or a specified price. This is not true. They specify a price. However, the value of the contract itself can vary based on further trading, but it doesn't affect the price specified in the contract. Happy to discuss further. Sam, thank you, thank you, thank you. Always, audience, if I say something that's wrong, please, please, please correct me because not only are you helping educate me, but we got literally millions of people that listen to this show. So we have to educate our audiences. And so, Sam, thank you so much. I didn't understand that. I actually replied to Sam and asked for some of his time on his calendar so he can educate me further around this. But so glad that you reached out. And, folks, I did fact check Sam. He is 100% right. So I was wrong when I said there wasn't specific prices attached. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Sam. All right. Next one is from Sonia Kerr, director of PR at Woodmac. Hadn't she written in before? I think she has. That sounds so familiar. It does. Absolutely love the show, guys. And I know you're both super busy, but we'd love to see more consistent weekly releases. Have you ever considered doing two shows a week? <laughs> Regardless, you have a huge fan club Let here. Let me stop right there real quick. Sonia, <laughs> the reason Paige and I laugh, and we appreciate that. We actually would love to do that. We can't. We're lucky to get one show a week, as the audience can tell. Now, sometimes we'll do a new show and then First Friday Q&A, and that'll be done but they're going to get released on a weekly basis regardless. Yeah, so two shows are just not Not doable. even, but, yeah. But appreciate your desire for us wanting to hear us twice a week. And then she goes on, Paige, I know Mark has joked a bit about the women writing in asking about your skin care or makeup routine and where and how you shop for clothes. But damn it, girl, inquiring minds want to know. There's a huge gap in how my mother's generation prepared for work in the oil and gas industry and how myself and my 30-ish something friends get ready for work. How do we dress for success without spending hours getting ready or spending a crazy amount of money? How do we dress business casual that is elegant without being too sexy? Does anyone make steel toe boots that don't look like they should be on lumberjack feet? What amount of makeup is too much or not enough? And how do you deal with the office temperature being too close to freezing? 
actually, I have a story about this. I worked at an, for an operator, and actually, I had an office, but nearby was a bullpen, and one of the people in the cubes would go crank the air to 65 degrees because she was going through, you know, she's having her, you know, menopause. So it's a lot of heat flashes and stuff like that. And one time I may or may have not super glued the thermostat to <laughs> 72. So that might be an option. I wouldn't recommend it unless you want to get in trouble. But she goes on to say, if you ever decided to do a vlog on your routine and shopping, I would be the first to sign up and would love to see you with your own line of skincare and makeup products. Paige Wilson's oil-filled approved mascara has a nice <laughs> ring. This is awesome. <laughs> and I don't make fun of you of people writing in, do I? No, you tease me. Well, I actually think it's awesome. And I think what I've said before, and I was being serious, although I may have laughed when I said it, is like, hey, if enough of y'all write in, maybe we can get I had somebody it. approach me at our last industry mixer. And Same said, thing? Yeah. So I don't know. If I have five more people reach out to me on like LinkedIn, I'll start buying equipment. All right, audience, we need at least five of y'all, <laughs> five of y'all to reach out to Paige and ask her that you'd like to see a vlog on her routine. I would actually like to see it, honestly. I think it'd be awesome. Really? Yeah, in that watching somebody that's a professional oil and gas help other people in the industry with things like makeup and clothes, I just think would be cool. Okay. Yeah, I don't plan to learn how to do the smoky eye or anything myself, right? But I think if you... If you, <laughs> you learned enough about that on Instagram, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, so if you don't know what Paige is talking about, nobody knows this, is when I first started using Instagram about three years ago, I wanted to see who were the best content producers on Instagram. And at that time, it was makeup artists, right? Right. Or, or, I shouldn't say artists, people showing how to do makeup. So I watched all these makeup tutorials on Instagram, learning about how long they were, what they were called to action, how they lit stuff, how they monetized it. What I didn't know is the algorithms were paying attention to everything I was doing. <laughs> so for the next couple of years, all I got is makeup tutorials and I still get them. So honestly, I can't show you how to do a smoky eye or how to do prom makeup or how to use liquid eyeliner versus a pencil. And I've tried to do the opposite. So now on Instagram, I'm trying to do manly stuff. So I'm looking at pig hunting with a pistol. How do you make prosciutto <laughs> to try to cancel the algorithms? Ooh. But they still think I have an interest in makeup. I love prosciutto. It's on the list. It's, That's at, awesome. At some point, Mark LaCour, maybe even OGGN will be having prosciutto. <laughs> God, we got way off subject on this one, didn't we? Well, no, kind of. Well, a little bit. Yeah. And you've heard me say this a million times. Best co-working space in Houston is the Canon. If you want a place to go work, just walk up to the front desk, say you're a friend of OGGN, and they will happily give you a free day pass. IBM t-shirt is toast is history. We got a bunch of suggestions coming in on what we're going to give away next. We have not quite made that decision, but that decision we made soon. And whatever it is, it's going to be past super cool. Weekly rig count. Where are we? Same as we were last week because we we're actually recording this the day <laughs> after we recorded the last one. <laughs> I, that. I just told them. Okay. <laughs> and I just told them twice because I just discussed <laughs> that we sometimes do it two times. All right. And so if Paige is going to take that out and not have to give the weekly recount, I'm going to take that out and not talk about LinkedIn. I will, though, talk about if you need myself or any of our experts to come to one of your events, no matter what it is, we can do everything from a keynote to live podcast. Reach out to us. We'll be happy to share details. And then this was the first Friday Q&A. If you enjoyed it, if you have any questions, feel free to ask. And if we use your question, obviously, you get a big shout out in the air. Either go to OGGN.com or OilandGasThisWeek.com. Either way, this is a great way to get us the questions. And now, Twitter. Right? Yeah. You hit up OGGN. It's actually official OGGN on Twitter. If you want to find me, it's Mark underscore LaCour. Paige, you ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. 
Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.